Let's go ahead and if you want to open your iPad, your iPhone, and even if you have a real Bible in your hands, <laughs> let's read Ephesians uh, 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Next slide, please. Thanks. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he has lavished up. Oops, no, there's the editing part right there. You see that? He lavished on us, right, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. A little background on this, and James and uh, Pastor James and Pastor Brian have already gone extensive background, so I won't spend a lot of time on this. But as Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, he kicks in around verse 3 through verse 14 and uses, in the original language this was written in, one long sentence, which consists of 202 words. It is literally the mother of all run-on sentences. And so the English translators have had a tough time figuring out punctuation, periods, commas, because it is an incredible where Paul is, you know, Paul is verbose anyway, and he just goes on in this time. And one reason is this is, remember, Paul is receiving a download from God. He's receiving a vision. He's receiving a revelation. And he's so overcome by what he sees, he just, boom, goes off in his excitement and, and wonder and awe about this. And, and, and he's just, he's seeing, he's seeing the person of Jesus in a greater way. He's seeing the Father. He's seeing God's plan he, he, and, he, and he's just seeing the incredible love of God, and, and he's just awestruck. We use the word awesome in the most banal ways that I can think of. This is awesome, and Paul is saying, this is awesome, pay attention. And so I, I pray that this morning, as we see in other parts of the Scripture, men and women so overtaken by the Spirit of God in Revelation that we get a revelation of awesomeness by his word to our hearts. And so, God, would you give us that same uh, revelation? We need to be awestruck, Lord. We are so easily awed, quote, by the most innocuous things. But, Lord, we need a greater heart opening and eye opening. So, like Paul, would you be merciful to us and bring that about? Uh, this morning, not only today, but as we move forward in you. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
So where we're going to go this morning, let's go ahead and go to the next slide if we can. Because this is one wrong, run, long, run-on sentence and it's so powerful, we're going to kind of jump in and out all over the place on this. So we're really looking at what it's like to be in him, in his plan, by his revelation, in grace. And so let's go ahead and look at the next slide. And throughout this entire book of Ephesians, in is one of the in words. It is the most used word probably in this book because it's all about being in something, someone, somewhere. And it's a repetitive word. My wife um, talks to me many times about how when I get passionate about something, I'm like a dog with a bone, and I will just repeat and repeat and repeat because it's important. Paul's like this. Vicki, I love you. I really, really love Vicki Krewinski. Victoria L. Krewinski, I'm glad you're my wife. So hopefully... Yes, thank you for that applause. <laughs> He's a newly married man here. He understands that. But Paul is wanting to understand, give us understanding that this living in existence of being in him, in his love, this is clear, not only in this book of Ephesians, but throughout his word, that either we are in Christ or we're not. Either he is in us or he is not. There's nothing wrong with this absolute. Given the relativity of our society, there are need for absolutes, and this is one of those. Look at marriage. Either you're married or you're not married. With children, either you have a child or you don't have a child. Now, you may read books about having children. You may study about being married. You may watch other married couples. But those of you who are married or have children, you know the distinctive difference when you've crossed over that line. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, wow, now I understand. That's a similar analogy to this because Paul is saying that only in him can you really begin to understand? It's called the knowledge of him. Jesus said eternal life is based on the fact of knowing him and knowing the Father. That that is the, the, the base of eternal life. And we carry the knowledge of him through us. And either you know him or you don't know him. Now, those of us in this room are in different places of knowledge of him. But you do know whether you are married or not, correct? You do know whether you have a child or not, correct? It is just as sure that either you know him and are in him or you're not. And that is an okay absolute to live with. God himself planned. And, and just look at some of these here. It says that he has blessed us in Christ. He chose us in him. He has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. And verse 9 and 10, which he purposed in himself. Again, it's a repetitive word. But you're in the in crowd if you can see this. 
He has blessed us in Christ. Let's look at that verse again. That he has blessed us in Christ with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Now, again, this word blessing, again, for us sometimes to bless somebody means to just do good to them. Oh, I, I, I just bless you. And it really hangs sort of limp. But the word Paul uses here is closer to the word shalom, which literally means blessing in, in, the, in the original language means every joy or every benefit that your heart or soul could dream about or long for has been given to you in Christ. Now, take a minute to just think about the, the deeper things that matter to you, the things you long for deeply in your heart and in your mind, the things that really matter, the things that you dream about, the things you hope for, the things you long for. That is what in Christ has been given to you by a Father who deeply loves you. We are accepted only in the Father's beloved Son, and that is in Him that you receive these blessings. Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so He loves you. And He was saying this the Last Supper. They were, he was leaving them, and He wanted them to hear important things. This was one of them. Can you grasp that the same love the Father has for His own Son He has for you. That is an awesome statement. And it's one that is so important that you hear for your own self. And how the Father fully expresses this in Him, His blessing, is shown in verse 7, where it says that in Him we have redemption through His blood for the deliverance, removing of our trespasses and sins. And that is a legal expression there. We come into this full blessing. The word here used in verse... mm, Let me see here. One second. The word here in verse 7 that says, in him we have redemption. The word redemption here in the original language means to be set free away from from something or some condition. How we're set free is by the power of his own blood. Now, the group of people that Paul's writing to here in Ephesus and where this letter was circulated, they understood about blood sacrifices being done all the time. The sacrifices were given to appease capricious gods and spirits. So animals were slaughtered, rites were done, to appease the anger of these spirits or gods who in their capricious ways would determine their lives. But Paul, by God here, is revealing to these people that a personal God willing to give up his own life through his own son and showing that his blood only has the power to free. In, in, in the book of uh, Hebrews, it clearly shows us that in heaven, on the altar, in front of God's throne, is this altar that is covered in the blood of his son. And, that, and, the, and, the, and the 
term the writer in Hebrews uses is a new and living way into the Father. The word new means it's freshly killed, freshly done. So in the heavenly places, there is a blood sacrifice as if he just died right now. And it's efficacious to us and has power to cleanse and wash not only the outside, but more importantly, our conscience and our hearts so that from the inside out, we are set free from the power of what? Our trespasses and sins. And if you look at that verse, in some translations it says sins, and in some it says trespasses. Now, that's an interesting word. How many of you, when you've gone on a hike and you've come up to a place that you want to go in and there's a sign that says no trespassing? Now, I want honesty here. How many of you have said, screw this, and walk in and go on the land? Ah, one honest man, two, three, and they're all men, notice this. We're saying, this doesn't apply to me. I'm going to cross this boundary line. What Paul is saying to us is that where we have crossed a boundary line with our rebellions, with our self-will, our self-desire, our, our self-vision, only what's important to me, that I'll do. And whether it be greed, lust, avarice, whatever that may be, he's saying that can be broken and you can be freed from the power of it. But not only that, it's the unknown places where you've crossed boundary lines. That's another aspect. It's the ignorance of not knowing when you've crossed a line. As a husband, I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times that I have unknowingly crossed a line with my wife and then I pay the price later on for that because I didn't realize, because I'm just a knucklehead, a chucklehead. I don't know the difference. But in God, and, and she forgives me, of course, being that, the wonderful woman she is, but in God, it's different. In the spiritual realm, it's much different because we don't know where we've crossed that line. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say we all decided to go down to Avila Pier And we, to reach life, we had to swim to Hawaii. So we all go down to the end of the pier, and we know that life is there, so we all jump off the pier and begin to swim. Now, for some of you who don't know how to swim, it's a short, quick, not merciful, but terrible end, and you start drowning and you're dead. Some of you will begin to dog paddle. Some of you will begin to just, you know, do whatever. And you may get out two, three, four, five hundred yards, maybe. But one by one, you will start drowning and die. The few of you, how many of you did some of the, uh, the most recent marathons? The swimming marathons, the bike running marathons, triathlons. <laughs> Not many of you, so you would drown quickly. But... <laughs> The one person, the few of you in here who really know how to swim would maybe get out two, three miles. And the last one of you in this room would turn back and go, yes, I won. 
You're still dying. You're drowning. It doesn't matter. But along comes a boat full of people that are in this boat, and they're headed to life, and they're in life, and they throw a line to you. It doesn't matter that you've beaten everybody else. You're dying. The line is held out to you. If you take that lifeline and you're pulled in, you're safe, and you're in life, and you're headed to life. That's what Paul is expressing here. We don't know that we're drowning. We don't know that we're dying. But thank God through revelation, God sent his own son and says, yes, you can be free and you can be rescued. Sometimes that word rescued and saved, we hear it so often it doesn't matter. But literally every day, I need to experience the life of God that has rescued me and I need to see that so that I can just rejoice in that. That's powerful, isn't it? Let's move down to verse 9. Let's read that again. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. How we fit into in his plan is just as important as we've read these verses and what his purposes really are. Because in him, we begin to move. He has a plan and he has a purpose and he's revealing that to us in his son. Let's look at the next plate for his purpose and in his plan. Some verses that we've gone through already, but it says... He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption according to his will. And verse 9 and 10 again, the mystery of his will according to his purpose as a plan for the fullness of time. We're only going to barely scratch the surface due to time about the purposes and destinations that God has for us and his choosing us because it is a deep, deep subject. But I encourage you to dig deep into the concepts and the revelation of predestination and choosing. That's something I'm encouraging you to do. We won't be able to go too deeply on that this morning. But it's important for this to be said. The people that Paul was writing to here in Ephesus and Western Asia Minor They lived in constant fear and dread of the astral powers that would control their destiny. And whether it was the stars, the planets, the moon, or other spirits, they were in constant fear and they were enslaved to this way of thinking that it had to do with their lives. Paul is placing before them a God, one whose destiny and plan for their lives is in love with lavish blessings full of favor and grace. And this is still true today all over this planet with a battle that's going on 
for who or what is really in control of our lives and destiny. And whether it's the fatalism that you might be drawn to, both religious or philosophical, or the rugged individualism of Americanism that says free choice makes your destiny, or the scientific concept or philosophical concept of determinism, or the concept that we all have heard said, well, to each their own. God is doing something different here because he reveals in his word and says yes to the choosing and predestination and yes to choice. All through the scriptures, we see these supposed opposing truths. In one instance, whosoever will come is welcome to come. In another place, he says, you didn't choose me, the Father chose you. And so we, we, we wrestle with this. In our humanity, we wrestle with these things in the scriptures, and we go, how can they both be true? How is that possible? Even here in this book, the first three chapters lays out God's desires and his will, his plan, his purposes. And the last three chapters are about believers' responsibility to do all that they can in their choices to please him. Again, a conundrum of both and. Look at this way. Even in our natural existence, we see dualities. For example, how many of you are science majors in this room? Okay, a few of you. So excuse me for my inexactness in describing this, and you could probably do a better job than me. But light, for instance, sometimes behaves as a wave and sometimes as a particle. Is that correct? Okay, good. I'm, so far, I haven't blown my leg off here. A wave doesn't have mass, whereas a particle has mass. Correct so far? More or less, in a simplistic terms. I can see that on their faces. <laughs> now, scientists don't have any explanation why light can act and exist in both realms. All they can do is describe that it does. Right? We don't, have, we don't have a reason why, but it should be an impossibility, but it is still there. So in God's realm, let's learn to live in this tension that, God, you have a plan for us. You have a destiny for us. But it's up to us to do all that we can to fit into your plan. Read Acts 27. I don't have time to go into that, but read Acts 27 that talks about this happening where Paul is on his way to Rome, and you can see that. So let's, let's draw our attention away from this tension, and let's go and look at the benefits of what God has chosen us for, because that's really the focus that Paul is giving to us here as he's showing us Christ and showing the benefits and the blessings here. Let's look at verse 4. It says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and with, without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, some of you women may read this and go, adoption as sons, that's sexist. 
Paul is not being a sexist here. He's simply describing a typical Roman custom of adoption. Now, in that culture, remember, a man might have a number of wives and some mistresses who were his slaves that bore him children. And so, as he began to get to that place of wanting to divide the estate, he would select children among whom he wished to divide that estate. He doesn't want to divide it among the entire motley crew here, but he... Well, anyway, what I'm trying to say is that's not maybe how he looked at it, but that's the word I chose. But he wished to only choose a certain amount. He would take the ones he chose, take them down to the forum, and before, confess them openly before proper authorities as his sons, and then go through the ceremony of adoption. Now, from that day on, they were recognized as heirs legally, And without any question. We see here that in his own son Jesus. He lovingly and out of the abundance of his own heart's desire. Adopted us. So that we might have the same rights. As an inheritance as his own dear son. That means he sees no distinction. Between his son Jesus and you that have chosen to come into this adoption process and to be adopted. No difference. You're not the red-headed, one-legged stepchild. You are, in fact, full heirs to the inheritance. But not only that, in the book of Hebrews, it says very clearly that for a will to come into force, the testator has to die. And in this case, the son has died, which means the inheritance is now yours fully as sons and daughters, as children of God. And you have been declared not only in this realm, but in the heavenly realm before all powers and authorities that you are his children and you are chosen to that if you've come in to Christ. Any amens on that one? Yeah. So be it. It is now yours. Paul says this. Behold what manner of love. the I'm not Paul. John says, look, look closely what manner of love the father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. And so you are is what the Greek says there. You are declared that. That is astounding to me. And I need to hear that all over again. And what kind of sonship is this? We have a family story that's, that is just told and retold, and sometimes to my sons, like, oh, I can't hear the story again. But I'll just share it with you because you probably haven't heard the story. Our son, growing up, like me, we butted heads because he's so much like me. And in the course of time, I don't know, how old was he, Vicky, when this happened? Eight, nine years old, feeling his oats. And, of course, in our family, doing chores was a part of the process and doing things around in responsibility. One day, in his frustration of the load he was carrying that was so heavy on his shoulders, he said, you just had me so I could be your slave. 
And Vicky and I, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we have spent thousands of dollars. We have spent time immemorial taking care of you just so that you could be our slave. Now, he said later he knew he'd made a mistake at that point in his arguments. <laughs> well, what had happened? He had lost sight of his privilege of being a son. And he saw himself as a slave. I think that is a telling story. You see, in another book, Paul writes, he says in Romans chapter 8, our destiny is to be conformed to the image of his son. And so can you see the picture here? This blending of God's will, his plan, his, his choice of us is blended with our free will because I'm so affected by his good pleasure. I'm so affected by his revealed desire and his spirit in me changes me into an obedient son that I can't help but say I'll serve you for the rest of my life because I'm so amazed by this wonderful, loving, passionate father and a son just, just has given himself for me that my will is so affected that I'm affected by his will. So you see, the two become one in us if we can see that we're not just mere slaves or just a cog in the machinery, but that God sees you and knows you in particular and has chosen us to be his sons. Now, let's propel forward in the next couple of minutes and just finish this up. As we grow in our realization of this adoption and being part of a new family, we begin to grow up past ourselves. We begin to learn about our father having a bigger design and how we're a part of that. Look again in verses 9 and 10 here. He says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. We see here heaven and earth coming together and us being a partner in that. The scripture says as a prophecy, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of him. God's plan and God's purpose in totality at a period of time is to begin to bring again that which has been divided by death and destruction back into one, all things in heaven and all things in earth. What a wonderful thing. And we are a part of that. Jesus said very, a very powerful thing to us, and it's recorded in the book of John. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you into the world. As we begin to grow out of ourselves, we begin to see us a part of that plan. In Romans 8, and I won't even go into that for time's sake, but you can begin to see God having a plan for creation, and we're a vital part of the redemption in that. 
let me give you a, a bigger picture. Today's the big game, correct? How many of you are in this room are Denver Bronco fans? How many of you in here are Sea Chicken? I mean Seahawks fans. <laughs> Sorry, that's just my 49er tendencies coming out there. There we go. Raise your hand. How many of you don't give a rat's patootie about today's game? And there you go. The patooties win. Does God care about the big day? He cares about the men and women involved in it, though. He has a deep desire to work in their lives. Just as much as he has a deep desire as we pray for the people in Ukraine where their country is being torn apart or any other part of the world, even in our lives in this room that are under deep distress and desire and all they can see is, I just don't know how I'm going to catch my next breath. I'm so overwhelmed. See, God can do both and. It may be a hyperbole, but how many times have we been like the person that talks about themselves incessantly and then in the conversation with you finishes by saying, well, enough about me talking about myself. What do you think about me? <laughs> God wants to give us a bigger vision. God in you, you carry the fragrance of Christ. You who are in Christ and Christ is in you are carrying the fragrance, the very essence, the very life that is bringing this world back into a redemptive place. And at a future time, all things will be done in heaven and earth, and you are a part of that. Now, that's easy to say, but it takes a revelation to do that. So if we can look at the next slide really quickly as we finish up here. And listen to that shout. I love that. In him, in his plan, but by his revelation in grace. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That we should be holy and blameless to the praise of his glorious grace according to the riches of his grace. All that I've said this morning, all that we've covered this morning, has to have a catalyst so that we're captured by it. I brought this little thing out here, covered by the towel, and I can describe to you, it's one of my grandchildren's toys that's covered by this towel. I can tell you what it is, but you can't tell by looking at it what it looks like. Correct? Let's look at the next slide. One more slide. Is there not another slide? Did that not get in there? Okay, so editing again. The definition of revelation that Paul is receiving here, literally the word revelation means to unveil or uncover. So now I take this off. And now you can clearly see 
that it's a castle, a girl's castle. But you couldn't see that before, could you? This is the crucial part that Paul is receiving an unveiling in front of him and he's describing it. But he prays later on in the book of Ephesians that your eyes may be open, that your heart may understand all. And for us to be propelled out, for us to grasp what we have in him, for us to take part in his plan, his purposes, to be part of the redemptive story in this world around us, we need an unveiling and an uncovering so we can see that to partake in and then to be a part of carrying it with us. And it's all because of his rich grace, which again, I don't have the description of there, so I make sure I write it down for the next service. But the word grace is not just favor. It is the adornment upon, or for you men, handsoming up upon. It is the rich, incredible love that has favor towards, that has a heart towards, that is full and overflowing with good pleasure towards. That is the grace by which we stand and take in. And this revelation just overwhelms us. So you see, as we go through these scriptures, you may have a mental in your mind going, yes, I understand that, but I don't know that I experience that. You're saying words that I don't necessarily grab a hold of. May God grant you a revelation in his incredible loving favor towards that you can grasp it and be captured by and be sent with. So that instead of just a religious do's and don'ts or a self-made law that governs your life that is just death, that you will have life today, tonight, tomorrow at work, tomorrow in your neighborhoods, tomorrow at school, that you will be able to be overcome and captured by this incredible Savior that we have and by a Father that has called you and chosen you. So let's have the band come up. And I, and also, if we could have the prayer team, uh, Vicki, if you want to just go over there, maybe some other people that are, you know, that are praying for people, if you could just go over to the side. I would, like Paul says, I beg you that you appropriate the grace of God that is toward you, that you would have your hearts hopefully opened with full of desire to come, if you already know him, to come into a deeper place of being captured by him. And if you don't know him, that you have never truly experienced what it is to know him and to come into him, that you would hear this invitation 
and respond accordingly to the calling because you are called, whosoever will. Well, how do I know that I'm chosen? Come into the beloved and you'll know you're chosen. So let's worship. And if you have any needs for prayer, we have some people over here to pray with you, to talk with you. We also have communion for those of you that know him who would love to do business with him, to enjoy fellowship with him. We have communion at the back areas. But as we worship, draw near to him and ask him for a revelation.